passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. 64.8 billion dollars. That's a lot of money. And most of all, it's a lot of money to steal. That's how much money he stole. He stole that from a little bit under 5,000 people. He committed the largest financial fraud in U.S. history. And he committed the largest Ponzi scheme in world history. Does anybody know his name? Bernie Madoff, exactly. Yeah, he was a former executive chairman of the NASDAQ Stock Exchange. And he convinced people to be able to entrust their money with him. And he would invest their money. And he somehow was able to give a higher rate of return than anybody else. How did he get that higher rate of return? It's a classic case of robbing Peter to pay Paul. As new investors gave him money, he took some of that new investment money and he padded it on to the interest rate of return of former investors' money. So it looked like he was able to make a lot more money than he actually was. When he was asked about it, he said, well, it was a lie. It was all one big lie. That's how it started. In fact, he started it with one lie, at the very beginning, and then he continued that lie for 10 years, getting deeper and deeper and deeper into debt, taking more and more money that was not his. Today, he is serving 150 years in jail, and he's considered one of the largest financial lies or thieveries to ever have been done in the United States. And all I can say, I hope he wasn't managing your money. Now, this morning, we are uh, working our way through the Ten Commandments. And we're on the Ninth Commandment, which has to do with integrity, truth. It has to do with lying. We shall not lie. Now, the way things are going to lay out before we study this morning is that, as I said, next week is going to be the church picnic, so we will not be here. Just to be honest with you and let you know ahead of time, unfortunately, I will not be able to make the church picnic. I have a commitment I made months ago before the church picnic was even on the calendar, and I can't get out of that uh, commitment. But Pastor Jordan will be giving the message, and Pastor Stephen will be taking care of the other things that need to go on the church picnic. So somebody's going to need to eat my dessert, since I won't be there. Hopefully we have a couple volunteers to eat the, There you go. He's going to eat my dessert for me, so that'll be good. After we return from the church picnic, we come back here. We'll have the new sound and lights. Hopefully that should be all upgraded. And we will do the last of the Ten Commandments, which is on coveting. And I'm sure there's nobody here that struggles with that issue. I think everybody struggles with that one, don't we? Then we will launch into a small series on the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. It'll be a four-week series on that Old Testament book. That'll bring us into the fall. In the fall, we will start the Gospel of Mark, which will be sort of a long-term haul as we work through that that Gospel, uh, which is really important to our faith as we learn more about Jesus. 
So let's go ahead before we, uh, let's go ahead and dive into the ninth commandment right now. Let's go ahead and read it and then we're going to head in and study it. So here it is. If you take your outlines out, it says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And the way we've been working through these commandments is the same way we're going to work through this commandment. We're going to learn what does it mean? Why did God give it? And then we're going to look at how do we often violate this command. So let's go ahead and begin with what does this command mean? Now this command was originally um, given obviously to a situation where someone was in a court of law and they were to be a witness in a court of law. They had to be very truthful. And part of the reason that was so important is because in the ancient world, you did not have forensic evidence. You did not have DNA. You did not have CSI. Didn't have any of those things. So truth and justice rose or fell based on the honesty and integrity of the witnesses. Now for the nation surrounding Israel, what we know is we don't know a lot, but from what we do know is that justice was often not carried out in those nations. For instance, you were presumed guilty of a crime when you were charged for it, not presumed innocent of a crime. There were very few standards for evidence. And um, sometimes people who were accused of crimes were not even allowed to defend themselves of their crime. In the nations surrounding Israel, you can be convicted of a capital offense based on the testimony of only one witness. So you really don't want to have somebody who had a grudge against you and be willing to lie because they could cause a world of trouble for your life. Now, thankfully, in ancient Israel's judicial system, things were set up much differently. For instance, the trial was done by, by jury. Also, you had to have two or more witnesses of the offense. In addition, if you were somebody who uh, charged somebody with an offense and they were convicted of that offense, you had to be one that was willing to throw the first stone in taking their life for that offense. You know, it's one thing to accuse somebody of a crime. It's another thing to actually go through with being the principal person in the execution of someone after a crime. That really cut down on false witnesses. In addition, if you were a witness that had proven to be a liar, the consequences that you were hoping would be enacted on the person that you lied about was actually then carried out on you. So if you were a liar in a capital crime, trying to have somebody lose their life, and that was discovered, then you would end up using your life instead. So this is all to say that uh, in the ancient world, the truth, the honesty, the integrity of a witness in a court of law was extremely, extremely important. And the danger of lying witnesses, one of the best ways I can illustrate that is the trial that Jesus Christ went through. He was convicted by lying witnesses, didn't he? <clears throat> well, like other commandments, this commandment express, expressly forbids the worst form of a sin. But by implication, we have learned in our study of these commandments, it also forbids lesser forms of sins. Jesus, talking in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard that you should not murder 
But I tell you that anyone who hates his brother in his heart is guilty of murder. In other words, not just the actual murder is wrong, but the hatred of someone in your heart, which is what, where the murder starts, is wrong. Or you remember what Jesus said about adultery. You have heard that it's wrong to commit adultery, but I tell you that someone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So it's not just the actual act of adultery that is expressly forbidden, but the heart-level adultery that leads to it that is also expressly forbidden. In a similar way, while this commandment uh, expressly forbids lying in a court of law under oath, which is obviously the worst form of lying possible, it also forbids all other forms of lying. Not just lying that would take place in a court, but lying that would take place to your neighbor on Saturday afternoon over the backyard fence is also forbidden. One thing I found interesting as I was studying this week is that uh, I ran across this passage about the things that God hates. And it talks about seven things that God hates. And if you look at this, three of those seven things are all rooted in lying. The breaking of this particular command. So it shows you how much God detests lying. It detests non-truth. It's Proverbs chapter 6, 16 through 19. Let's read this. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, there's number one, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, there's number two, and one who sows discord among brothers. As we're going to see in a little bit, that's actually number three. Using your tongue to sow discord among people. So we know what this commandment means. It expressly forbids all forms of lying, even though it, uh, it forbids all forms of lying. While it expressly forbids lying in court, it extends to those other areas. Now why? Why is it wrong to lie? The truth is that lying is very common today. It's almost expected to happen every day. All I need to say is Hillary Clinton email scandal. Any lying going on there? Uranium One. Any hiding of the truth going on there? Russian collusion. We don't know what's going on there. It's all hiding the truth and lying. Every place you look, people are hiding the truth and lying. In fact, that's almost the standard way it goes for politics. You've heard of a lying politician? Technically, you only need one word. Lying or politician, well, it's the same thing. They all come to mind, right? Honest politicians, like a contradiction in terms. The media... We learned, especially on our last election cycle, that the media does not just report the news, but media also shapes the news. And that journalists have their perspectives as well. Sometimes those perspectives are not always honest. Business lying is a very common thing. 
How many times do you know of people who are in sales? They'll say, well, I'll, I'll make sure the product is there by Friday. But they know full well they can't even begin to ship it out until Monday. But they lie. They lie to make the sale because sometimes people will say a good businessman is a good liar because they go together so often. Advertising is also filled with lying and, and deceptions. You know, uh, product is bigger than actually appears. <laughs> you ever seen some of those kind of things? Well, you know, that's not necessarily lying, but the point is that there's so much things that go on in advertising to make a product look better than it actually is. Now, the question is, why is there so much lying in our world? Why is the truth in such short supply? The scriptures tell us that the reason is because this world is under control of the devil. And when the devil speaks, lying is his native tongue. That's what he does. He lies. And those who are not walking with Christ are following him. So lying will become their nat natural native form of expression as well. The scriptures tell us this in John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies." He's the original liar and ultimately the source of all lying that goes on. And when people lie, they're walking more in the footsteps of the devil than they are in Jesus. But completely on the opposite side of the spectrum is God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. What do the scriptures tell us? Titus chapter 1 verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Or speaking about Jesus. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The devil, he lies all the time. And those who lie are walking in his footsteps. Though God's people, as Christians, we shouldn't be lying because God is always true. He cannot lie. It is antithetical to his character to lie. In fact, when you get to Paul's epistles, he says this is one of the major changes that happens when we become Christians. Instead of being people of deceit and of error and of lying and of manipulation, all of a sudden, we start to become people who speak the truth because our God and Savior always speaks the truth. And we're walking in his footsteps. That's how we live. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Or Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And Jesus, when he was before Pilate, he described how he is uh, in this world and his purpose. Then Pilate said to him, 
So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. What's his purpose? To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So in a world that is filled with lies, that is filled with deceit, where you don't actually know what's really going on, where the truth can be found, the one place you know you can find the truth, shining like a bright light in a dark room, is God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the witness to the truth. And in God's Word, that we have in front of us is also a witness to the truth. Since this is God's word, not man's word, and God cannot lie, when God inspired the prophets to write the scriptures, God's words will not lie. In fact, this is a great Awana verse right here. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, Rightly handling the word of truth. So Jesus is the truth. God the Father is the truth. This word is the truth. This is why we keep our finger in the text and we do our absolute best to orientate our lives around God and his word because this is where the truth can be found. Because in life, there is so much lies and deceit. Now we've looked at what does this command mean? And why did God say it? Now let's look at how we often violate it. Now we could talk about big fat lies, but those are pretty easy. We know those are wrong. Let me talk about ways we lie that we often don't realize it. The first one is called flattery. Anybody ever done some flattering? Flattering is saying nice things to people that aren't necessarily true about people. It's giving people compliments when they don't really deserve those compliments. Sometimes we'll compliment them on their intelligence. Oh, you are so smart. You must have been first in your class. Sometimes we compliment them on their looks. Did you lose, did you lose weight? Sometimes we uh, flatter people when they ask us tough questions. Do these jeans make me look fat? What do you say, guys? Don't lie. That could be flattery. Flattery is essentially saying something to someone's face that's nice about them that you would never say behind their back about them. And the Bible calls this lying. Psalm 12, 2. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Now, I'd like to have some fun with this so there's no misunderstanding. There is a difference between flattery and encouragement. Flattery is saying lies about people that aren't true in order to encourage them. Encouragement is saying good things to people that are true to encourage them. Now, encouragement is a good thing. Encouragement is a good gift. And if you're somebody who is a good encourager, that's a good thing. Anybody here use encouragement? Yeah, like all of us could use some encouragement. So be an encourager, but don't be a flatterer. 
In other words, say what is true to encourage people. Don't say what isn't true. Because if you do that, you're actually lying. Another example, how we lie sometimes subtly. It's called exaggeration. Anyone ever do that? This is the favorite, li- the favorite lie of most fishermen, right? How big was that fish? But exaggeration doesn't just stay confined to fishermen. The honest truth is exaggeration ends up in our own life as well. And I got thinking, I think the person we, or the, the situation that we like to exaggerate about most is ourselves. As you uh, look back on yourselves, we often like to portray ourselves as smarter than we actually are. We like to portray ourselves as more athletic than we actually were. We like to portray ourselves as more popular than we actually are. We like to exaggerate our qualities in our own mind, and we like to exaggerate our qualities when we talk to others about ourselves. It's just a form of lying. It's not being honest. We weren't that good when we were in high school football. We were just average. Be honest about it. I'll give you an example of this. In 2001, George O'Leary was able to secure the job as head coach of Notre Dame football. Any of you guys remember that? Didn't last long. Because what happened is a reporter uh, wanted to do some interviews with his college, um, his college football teammates at New Hampshire. And so they went to find some of the people that he played with at the University of New Hampshire. The problem was they couldn't find anybody he played with on the University of New Hampshire. But his resume said he lettered for three years there. So the reporter called him and said, well, can you give me some names of who I can talk to? He said, well, I really didn't actually play on the team. In other words, mono one year, I had an injury another year. And so he just sort of stretched the truth that he actually lettered for three years at the University of New Hampshire. What happened shortly after that is he lost his job. He was fired before he began because the University of Notre Dame says... This exaggeration is just a fancy form of lying. And that's not what we want for our coach. Now, I have to ask you, look back on your life this week. How many times did you exaggerate? Maybe you were late for an appointment. (laughs) You were running late and you told when you got there, oh, I couldn't get across the bridge in Arnold's Park. There was just too much traffic. And really, there wasn't that much traffic. It was actually just your poor planning. But you exaggerated the traffic in Arnold's Park to make it look better, to make yourself look better than you actually are. You see how it's a very common person we like to exaggerate about is ourself? Another way that sometimes we like to exaggerate is we like to exaggerate when we get hurt. You ever see people do that? They talk about how somebody hurt them so bad. Somebody did so many evil, terrible things. And they just want to like build up their case so they can get even more sympathy than they deserve. They exaggerate so they can get a bunch of sympathy. Another place that we lie in our exaggerations is sometimes we exaggerate our enemies. You ever seen people do that? They have a difficulty with one person. 
and it's on one particular area, but they demonize them. They completely write them off in all areas of life, not just the area they disagree with them on. Oftentimes, you can see this in our political system. Sometimes Democrats and Republicans, they write one another off completely. They demonize one another totally. Now, are there areas where they see completely differently? Of course. Of course, there's areas they see completely differently. But that doesn't mean that should write them off from all the discussion in all areas. They should do what they can together, realizing, obviously, there are some areas they see completely differently on. But see, they exaggerate sometimes the differences. And we can do the exact same thing too, can't we? Exaggerate our differences between people so we can write people off and get them out of our life. And it's just a fancy form of lying. Another example, gossip. Anybody ever struggle with gossip? Gossip is passing around information on people that may be true about them and it may not be true about them, but ultimately it is not helpful for their reputation. When this is done verbally, it's called slander. When it's done in print, it's called libel. And if you think about most of the evening news, is it news or is it gossip, slander, and libel? The honest truth is a lot of the evening news is not news you need to know. It is an opportunity to slander or libel somebody and their reputation. Now, let me tell you a little bit about gossip. You'll find the most gossip in people who have the most free time. That's true. When you don't have a busy life where you're worried about your own stuff, you end up having a busy life gossiping and worried about somebody else's stuff. Can I say daytime soap operas for people who are sitting at home? Sometimes that's where people go, and the scriptures tell us this. Besides, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but they're also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. Sometimes, gossip takes place because we need to get busy doing a job, worrying about our own life instead of others. Now, by the way, gossip and slander is not to be part of our lives at all as Christians. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy, and envy and all slander. We're using our words to verbally tear people down. 2 Corinthians 12, 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility. There it is. Slander and gossip. Conceit and disorder. One of my uh, favorite illustrations I ran across in my study this week was of King Alfred. He was king of, of Wessex in England in the ninth century, and he took gossip seriously. Like if you were a gossip and you were slandering people, he had your tongue cut out. But he wasn't that bad. He did allow you to have the opportunity to redeem your tongue. In other words, you could pay to get it back. What was the price you paid to get your tongue back? 
Well, the price was essentially a portion of a man's life. I don't know what that was, but it sounds pretty steep. And here was his reasoning. It was a very steep price to get your tongue back if you were a gossip and slander. Because of your gossip and slander, you could completely ruin a man's life. Because words can destroy people. An example I ran across was of Charles Spurgeon. Some of you may know about Charles Spurgeon. Uh, I think his church was between 10,000 or 16,000 people in England. It was the largest church in the world, I believe, at the time of his existence. He began as a very young man as a pastor and was really gifted. And he was a young single guy. And, you know, as would happen if you're a young, single guy who's a gifted pastor, there were ladies who were interested in him and who would talk to him after the services. And one person in the news reported that Charles Spurgeon was a womanizer, a, a ladies' man. And you know how that gets passed around the wire. And that got passed to other newspapers. And that got passed to newspapers that were even in the United States about the famous Charles Spurgeon. And for the rest of his life, everywhere he went, he had to spend time debunking what was an untrue, false, gossiping lie that was spread about him in the newspapers. No, he had not had appropriate, inappropriate relationships with young ladies. No, everything was fine, but that's what somebody accused him of and then spoke against him of, and they tore away part of his ministry and his life. The scriptures say this, Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. If you had a choice today to have either a million dollars put into your bank account or to have a good reputation it would be better to keep your good reputation than to get the million dollars. That is how important our reputation is and how easy we think it can be torn down by gossip, by slander. Even if the gossip has an element of truth to it, it still takes away someone's life, something that is so precious and important to them. Now today, we are in a time where gossip and slander and libel is really potent. In previous generations, it was more mouth-to-mouth. And then it became the opportunity to be put into newspapers and print. Now there's this thing called the Internet. On the Internet, you can speak anonymously. On the Internet, you can speak instantly. You speak permanently and you speak globally. You can do a ton of damage on the internet through the gossip of your mouth and the things we say. When you are on Facebook, you are on Twitter, and you have these opportunities to say things, and you can tear somebody down and express your dislike for them, it can cause a lot of damage. And as Christians... We're not to be that kind of people. We're to build others up, not tear them down. And if you honestly have a problem with a person, talk to them face to face. Don't slam them on the internet 
where your post can be taken out of context, we need to understand that um, the idea of gossip, it's so easy to gossip. The Bible describes gossip as something that we love to do. Proverbs 18, verse 8. The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down to the innermost parts of the body. We love to gossip, but it is so dangerous and destructive to other people's lives. So I'd like to give you three ways you can stop the spread of gossip. And here they are. Number one is real simple. When somebody's talking to you and they're telling you something that's gossip, you just stop them and tell them to stop talking. You can do that. They're telling you something about someone else. You say, this sounds like gossip. Just don't tell me it. Stop. And then you say to them something like this. Have you actually talked to them about your issue? And they'll usually say, no. Say, well, the Bible tells us in Matthew 18 that there's something we're supposed to do, which means you're supposed to talk to them. And if you have a hard time talking to them, I'm supposed to take you to them. So let's go. Trust me, they won't gossip to you anymore. Because they really don't want the solution. What they want is the problem. That way they can gossip about the problem. Another way to help stop the spread of gossip is to tell someone to extend the judgment of charity. In other words, assume the best about a situation. Don't assume the worst about a situation. Most of the gossip gets started when somebody does something weird, bizarre, or really hurtful. They just fly off the cuff, and you see them doing it, and you can't wait to go tell your spouse or to go tell your friends, did you see this idiot? Do you know what he said? Oftentimes, let me tell you, when you see somebody do something that is mean or out of character, it's because they're hurting on the inside. And to gossip about them is to further tear them down when they actually need our help, not our hurt. Give them the judgment of charity. A few years ago, I was working in my yard didn't think I was doing anything that was that wrong or that bad. But, you know, you make noise, you make some dirt when you're working in your yard. And the neighbor came up to me and out of the blue, didn't see it coming, just started cussing at me, tearing me up one side, down the other. Just, I don't, my eyes are like this big. I'm like, where did this come from? You know, just totally dumbfounded. And I left, and I was like, man, that guy's out of control. And I you know, couldn't wait to go in and tell Cindy, you know. <laughs> you ought to see this guy. And, you know, we talk about it in the family. And then about six months later, I had the rest of the story. I discovered he'd just been diagnosed with cancer. And about a week or two before that, because of some restructuring in his business, he was given a major demotion, not because of anything he did wrong, but because business was restructured, and so he had to take a lesser position. And he was going through incredible amounts of stress, and a little thing I did that was slightly irritating had a disproportionate response to it. You know, many times when you see people who fly off the cup and do strange things like that, it's because they're hurting on the inside. And we have a choice to make. 
Do we want to take the time to know them, find out what's going on? Do we want to help them, or do we want to gossip and further hurt them? The other option to do is this. Tell someone to apply the golden rule. Remember that when you were a kid, the golden rule? It actually comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Would you like somebody talking about you that way behind your back? Well, I don't think so. So let's not talk about them that way behind their back. Simply applying the golden rule and saying that that's what you are going to uh, have to be true about your life, that stops a lot of gossip. You treat people like you'd like to be treated. Another way that sometimes uh, we lie and don't tell the truth that we don't often realize is shaping, holding, and rearranging facts. This is very easy to do, to shape, hold, and rearrange facts to make it portray like something is or isn't happening. One way I remember when I was thinking about this, that I did this when I was younger, was when I was at summer camp. Uh, I grew up at a summer camp in uh, the Adirondacks of New York. I would go up there. It was a Christian boys camp. And like many summer camps, we had a counselor in training program that was one year before you were actually were a full-fledged counselor. And they had all kinds of training they put you through to handle crisis situations. In fact, on the first night that I was there, before we really knew anybody else in our CIT group, they said, here's your, here's your evening training exercise. We have a lost camper in the woods. By the way, it's not a real lost camper. It's a fictionally lost camper. But this lost camper, you have to find him and bring him back tonight. We're not going to tell you where he is, obviously. He's short. He's round. He has a flat top. And by the way, he'll be okay until you get there because he has plenty to drink. What's that about? And so with my partner, we, we went into the woods, just like we went out in pairs, Well, not looking forward to an evening searching through a mosquito-infested woods, trying to find something I didn't know what it was. Now, we had just left camp, and we were going over the bridge for the, the, uh, was over a stream, and we happened to look below, beneath the bridge into the stream. In that stream, we saw this big, round cooking pot with a flat silver lid on it, cooling itself in the water. What would that be there for? Curiosity got the better of us. We went down there and pulled it out, and it was filled with soda. And all of a sudden, we put the pieces together. The camper was short, round, and had a flat top. And don't worry, he had plenty to drink until we got there. I think I found the lost camper. This never happens to me. I'm always last in line. So we carried the pot back and put the, the, uh, the pot there in the center of the cabin and took our pot, sat back in our bed, and had our drink of soda. And a few hours later, people would come in and they would uh, start looking and say, what are you doing drinking soda in your bed? You should be out looking for the lost camper. And I'm just going to admit, I was gloating over my victory. And so I couldn't just come out and tell them that the whole thing was over with. I tried to shape and rearrange the, the facts. Things like, where did the soda come from? Well, we found it in the woods. Or, um, can I have a soda can? Not until you find the lost camper. Of course, he happened to be sitting right in front of them if they solved the riddle. 
but the reality was I was pulling a Peter Strzok. You know, I was trying to manipulate, shape, try and rearrange the facts. And the scriptures say that is not to be the kind of people that we are as Christians. We're to be men and women that simply speak the truth. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbors, for we are members of one another. Now, how about this question? Is it ever, is it ever permissible to lie? This is the one that a bunch of you want me to get to. Well, here's what I'm going to tell you. There's times, very rare times in life, where lying is the better of two evils. But these are very, very rare situations. Let me show you two biblical occurrences. There's actually a number of them, but I'll show you just two. The first one comes in Exodus chapter 1. You may remember the situation. Pharaoh has told the Hebrew midwives that when the Hebrew women give birth... If they give birth to a male, they're to kill that baby. But if it's a female, they're to let it live. So the Hebrew midwives have this choice. Mm. Okay, I either kill babies or I lie to Pharaoh. Mm. Which one should I do? And here's what they did in Exodus 1, 18 and 19. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, they, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So there's two things I want to point out. The situation was either lie or somebody dies. And number two, the Hebrew midwives stood to gain nothing from their lie. All they can do is lose from their lie, but they save children's lives. I'll give you another example. Joshua chapter 2, Rahab the, the prostitute. Um, there was two Hebrew spies that had come to spy out Jericho, and they ended up in uh, Rahab's house, and she hid them there. And soldiers from Jericho said, bring out the spies. And she said, oh, they just left town. If you hurry, you can catch them. Similar situation. It's either lie or they die. Also, she stands to gain absolutely nothing from the lie. So my point is this. Are there situations in life where it is okay to lie? Yes, but I'll tell you this. They are very, very, very rare you will probably never face one. In the Bible, they're lie or die, and you stand, you stand to gain absolutely nothing from that lie other than saving somebody else's life. And I say this because I know people know that there, there are these exception situations, and they want to use it for all kinds of ways of their own comfort and their own convenience, and that's never, ever the biblical precedent. You know, in the Bible, there are a lot of liars. But probably the most famous lying couple of all was Ananias and Sapphira. Do you remember their story in the early church? 
It was an exciting time to, to be alive. Jesus had risen from the dead. The Holy Spirit was poured out. There was healings that were taking place. The church was growing by leaps and bounds. But one of the challenges in the church is that in the church of Jerusalem, there was a lot of poor people, a lot of needs. We know the scriptures tell us that people would occasionally sell stuff and bring the money to the apostles' feet so it would be distributed to those in, in need. In fact, a, a guy named Joseph from Cyprus did that. He sold a field and gave the profits for the field to the apostles. And he, he was actually renamed Barnabas because he was such a great encourager. Ananias and Sapphira saw the kind of uh, popularity and, and notoriety that Barnabas was given for his great gift. And they were a little jealous. They wanted some of that themselves. So they sold a field. And they gave the money to the apostles. But here's the thing. They didn't give all the money, which is an okay thing to do. That was fine. They didn't have to give any of the money at all. But what they did is they lied. They lied to the apostles. And they said, this is the full price we received for the field. They lied because they wanted to appear more generous than they actually were. And as a result, Peter said to Ananias, you've not lied to man. You've ultimately lied to God. And Ananias dropped dead. A little over an hour later, the same thing happened with Sapphira, his wife. He, she came in and Peter said, is this the price you got for the field, the full price? And she said, yes, it is. And she also dropped dead. Now, at first, this seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? I mean, come on, God. They gave a donation. Doesn't that count for something? They gave a donation, but what God was so upset with is they were lying, trying to appear more generous than they actually were, trying to make themselves appear better than they actually were. You see, the one particular kind of lie that God really hates is when people try to appear better than they actually are. They're not honest with themselves, they're not honest with their sin, and they're not honest with their struggles. In fact, today, that's probably the most common lie that each one of us struggles with in this room. In church, we want to appear like we've got our act together. We don't want to appear like we struggle with sin. We don't want to appear like we struggle in our marriage. We don't want to appear that we struggle with anger. We lie to God, and we lie to one another. That's a really dangerous lie. Because until we're honest with God and with other people that we struggle with sin and that we desperately need help, until we're honest about our sin, we can't receive the help we actually need which comes from Jesus Christ. Because until we're honest with our sin, we don't actually need Jesus, do we? We need Jesus desperately. And the only way we realize we need him is we're honest with our sin and we're honest with ourselves. And so today, today, 
I challenge you as you go into this week, be honest to God with your sin and even be honest to one another about your struggles with sin. Ask for help. Confess your sins. And together, come to Jesus, who's the only one who can forgive our sins and change us from the inside out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to confess that we oftentimes struggle with lies. We gossip, we exaggerate, we flatter, we shape truth, we bend truth. And oftentimes, our biggest lie is about ourselves. We act like we have our act together when we're desperately in need of help, help from Jesus. Please forgive us of that. I ask that we would be men and women of Crosswinds Church who are men and women who speak the truth and walk in the footsteps of Jesus, not speak lies and walk in the footsteps of the devil. We ask this in Christ's name. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.